0: Hi, Miraya. Am I saying your name right? I would say Mireya, but probably yes. that's wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: that's a correct pronunciation.
0: Oh really? Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> I am currently posting your website in the chat and okay, great. The current paper link and also your 2019 paper link. Okay. Um, although i'm going to talk only about the, the latest one so. yeah but if people want to check out more of your work they have to it. okay okay i think it was a really great paper so okay great <laughs> thank you and now i'm adding the the presentation so it should be working okay and now i'm sharing i'm just telling you what i'm doing because i don't want to Feel like it's you know I'm not nice. (laughs) There's a lot of things you can only do when you start the room.
1: Okay. Okay. No problem.
0: Share on clubhouse what this room is about. There's an extra button for that, and then okay. So thank you for coming. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank
1: you for the invitation.
0: And yeah. I know it's kind of a little bit of a hustle to like make the clubhouse come, but I hope you'll enjoy it and then maybe you'll come back.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: sure. Let's see. So, how how was your day so far? Everything good?
1: Oh, good. Quite uh, busy um, the last days, uh, but all good.
0: Oh, good. As long as it's not bad busy it's good busy
1: <laughs> no it's good busy it's uh i mean quite busy but yeah a good
0: way Don't complain good. that's wonderful yeah so we have been <clears throat> looking forward to your talk i think your research is really interesting um well, thank we, you we had a few um like microbiome talks um okay one was about also the forest like after a huge fire and before and um, nice
1: so how it gets you get the restoration to normal microbiome
0: so (laughs) we don't know enough to restore it yet about the the microbiome of the soil yeah yeah it they was wasn't a succession where they actually just studied before and after was by okay, okay. that they had samples yeah and um, yeah and uh, and um and then we had a couple related to health but i think this one uh your work is way more systematic um um so you know because you have you did already before a large scale Kind yeah, of. and with
1: time we are yeah getting larger sample sizes, so indeed we can get more stable results and uh, yeah be able to replicate better our results. Yeah,
0: I think is, yeah what we need. Yeah, I think it's really unique um, that you have such large scale data sets. So yeah, that's really exciting. So yeah, it's really great. And we'll start in around four minutes. i <laughs> I'm almost about to ask you all the a <laughs> okay. short interview before <laughs>
2: <we pause>.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> it's hard to to not like to stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah. And Good. um do you so you're you're a postdoc right now are you
1: yeah
0: so are you planning to stay in the lab you are for a while or
1: uh for a while yes then uh yeah i'm also looking for positions but um i mean there is still a lot we can do in my current lab so i was looking forward to continue i mean follow up uh, on the results we just got
0: yeah for sure Uh, it sounds like it's a really great um, and well, I don't know, but um, based on the work, it it sounds like it's a place where you can make a lot of I don't know, do people give you recommendations to do a long postdoc, a short one? It depends so much on Yeah,
1: yeah, indeed. In academia, you, you never really know what's the best I think at the end it's, I mean, it's the right positions open at the right place, right time. That's uh, yeah. what would work best. And One then also, people used to
0: tell me, "Oh, enjoy your postdoc; it's the best time." <laughs> uh, you don't, you know, you're not responsible for all the bureaucracy and everything.
1: Yeah, I can understand that. <laughs>
0: but on the other but, well, end,
1: yeah, yeah, work. having some more stability would also be good.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I agree. Like, it's so hard <laughs> to know what's yeah. right. You only know afterward. Yeah. History is always very easy to deduct what was right and wrong afterwards.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <Before you never. laughs> Indeed, after, it's much easier. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then it all seems to make sense, right? But it could have been <laughs> completely different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I think we can slowly start um, with introductions and so on. Mm -hmm. And I think people will continue coming in. um, But yeah, let's just start and go from there. So welcome everyone to Science Society. And of course, a special welcome to you Mireille. It's really an honor having you here, that you take out time of your busy schedule to come here. And before we start, let me introduce you to the audience. Um, so um, uh, um, Dr. Mireia Valcolomer, she is a postdoctoral researcher in Nicola di Gattasla and um, at the University of Trento in Italy. And um, she did her, um, she did t- like two degrees, microbiology and computational uh, biology at the UAB in Spain and um, VUB in Belgium. And then during her PhD at Reyes Lab in um, Leuven, Belgium, she uh, started doing research in the microbiota gut-brain axis. And um, she was really very successful doing that and published in 2019. Um, uh, really, I think, very well-discussed and and very well-known paper that was included in Nature Milestones in 2019, um, where she also was awarded a recommendation for the F1000 Prime Prize. And um, she... um, she then continued to be really um, interested in uh, studying the microbiome and especially how we acquire different microbiomes um, that are involved in health and disease. Um, so I think it's, it's a really wonderful um, path and, and field to be in. So thank you so much for coming.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for the introduction.
0: And as I said before, we start. We do a short interview. So, how did you real, like? How did you realize that you wanted to become a scientist um, that you are now? Was that something you always wanted to do, or does uh, did the interest for science become came later on with a class, maybe, or a book you read, or maybe somebody that showed you something interesting? Thank you.
1: Thank you well i was always interested in science i always liked the science subject uh, in school um then specifically on the microbiome that was uh, because of uh, a course i followed during my masters um in which um yeah a professor who became my um, master's thesis and uh, doctoral thesis supervisor uh, talked to us for the first time about the human microbiome And to me that was uh, really like something very interesting i mean i was fascinated by seeing how all these microbes that uh, we mostly see as uh, something uh, harmful for us are also living within uh, us and they are actually i mean we cannot live without them um and that they are so important for our health but at the same time we know so little about them so from that point i was okay i want to study this
0: yeah, yeah, I I understand I, I, <laughs> that um, that curiosity there because when yeah. I read about it, I thought, oh my god, I wish I was in that. Field. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so yeah, I totally understand. And for this specific um, project, you know, you wrote a little bit on your website how you became interested to work in this, but but do you have maybe? some more uh, behind the curtain story how this project came about um, and how you know it was successful to get grants and or mm-hmm. how people came together to do this project thank you
1: okay so uh for my PhD, as you said i stayed the microbiota brain axis which to me was just like something shocking like how can the microbes in our gut interact with uh, our brain um we there was evidence of uh, gut to brain and brain to gut communication, but it was, I mean, hardly unknown how this uh, could happen. So uh, that's uh, where I studied um, during my PhD. Uh, but then toward the end of my PhD, I was seeing how this, uh, the microbiome, especially the gut one, was uh, linked to many diseases. Um, so it was uh, very important for our health, but we are missing this fundamental question on how do we get these microorganisms um so that's uh when i decided to uh move uh to italy for my postdoc to join uh, Nicola at lab, who was developing the tools to um do strain tracking to, so um which is the method that we need to assess microbial transmission um and that's yeah how i got there i, well, I applied for uh, european funding i was uh, successful in getting that so then we started uh, this project um in like, in a very ambitious way, trying to get as many of some, as many samples as we could, then we get more than 9,000. Uh, analyzing all of them was uh, not easy. It was uh, yeah, many, many hours, um, but that's actually what we need if we want uh, re- replicable uh, results. So I'm very happy that after, so I joined David uh, 2019. So it was, yeah, I mean, more than two years uh, of, uh, of work uh, for the analysis part, then we have one more year um, for yeah writing the paper, submission, different revisions, and so on. Uh, but yeah, in a bit less than uh, four years, we we finally got it uh, published.
0: Well, congratulations, and um, I'm so glad everything worked out um, in that way because now we have this wonderful research and uh, more knowledge about. Um, Yeah, our microbiome. So thank you for doing that. And um, the stage is yours and everyone, the slides are pinned on top of the room. Feel free to access them. And yeah, um, the microphone is yours, right?
1: Okay, so thank you very much um, again for the invitation and for the kind introduction. Uh, I'm going to talk mostly about uh, this uh, research that uh, we last did on the person-to-person transmission landscape of both the gut and the oral microbiomes. So first, a bit of an introduction, I'm on uh, slide two now, on the human microbiome. So uh, that's the collection of microorganisms that reside in and on the human body. Um, So all the surfaces of of our body that are in contact with uh, the exterior Have their own microbiome. And this microbiome is a collection of microorganisms. These are mostly bacteria, but there are also archaea, viruses, protists, fungi. But yeah, bacteria are the majority, so that's what we study mostly. Um, And there are so many that we have in our bodies as many bacterial cells as human ones. This ratio keeps being revisited, but yeah, we are close to one to one. Um, And in the gastrointestinal tract, in the gut, that's where we have uh, the highest densities. Um, We have, on average, 10 to the 12 bacterial cells. These um, numbers uh, change based on, from person to person, also in several diseases, this microbial load is reduced. Um, And mostly we care about the microbiome because it plays a key role um, for our health. So disturbances in this microbiome have been linked to uh, most uh gastrointestinal, uh gastrointestinal diseases like Crohn's um, so colitis, um celiac disease, but not only so Alzheimer's, diabetes, um, yeah depression all have been linked to um, alterations in the composition of the gut microbiome. Um so now we know that they are very important uh, for uh, our health, so much that we could not live without them. Um, and yeah, going to slide three um so uh for the last decades we've been studying this role of the microbiome in maintaining host health and we know we now have some good knowledge on what factors modulate its composition we know for example that what we eat is very important um as microbiome ch- uh, our microbiome changes during our life so this um is very important because uh, in contrast to our uh, genetics uh, we know we can modify it and um uh, try to keep it in a health promoting state as much as possible. Um, so yeah, care, besides our genetics it has a limited effect. Also about our lifestyle, about our diet, um, about the mode we were delivered. So babies born by vaginal or vice section have a slightly different micro composition. Uh, also um, medication um, affects it, our age, we keep accumulating uh, microorganisms during our life um but then this diversity decreases when we get older so it's this um, yeah, decline um and then also diseases of course um, influence its uh, its composition in a strong way however um and in contrast to many pathogens like for um yeah uh, SARS-CoV-2, that um, we, we got to know in relatively uh, little time how it spreads COVID-19. Um, we know very little on how we we acquire such microorganisms that are so strongly associated with our health and with diseases. Um, so we also really know very, very little on how they are transmitted among individuals and spread in populations. Going to slide four uh, now. Um, and so And we think that this is not only a missing fundamental question, um, but also one with intriguing uh, consequences as, um, yeah, a main big one, and that's uh, what um, a lot of uh, media uh, channels uh, put attention on um, is that through the microbiome, um, non-communicable diseases. So those that are not linked to an infectious um, component could become communicable. So um, if, many of these diseases are strongly associated with microbiome composition and the microbiome is transmissible, they could in theory be transmissible through the microbiome. Um, And of course, if we understand how this transmission works, uh, we can also try to find ways uh, of altering it. Um, so in this way, we could try to deliver better uh, microbiota uh, modulations like pre or probiotics or fecal microbiota um based on their composition. So looking at the strains of uh, bacteria that are best at uh, colonizing a new host, but also their timing. Um, so what is best to actually um, do these interventions? Uh, slide five uh, now. Uh, so what do we know so far? Uh, there is some a bit known on vertical transmission uh, of the microbiome. So, there are three main um, modes of transmission that um, we can think of. One is vertical transmission from uh, mother to baby, the other is horizontal among peers. Um, so, vertical transmission was the first to be studied. And now we know that the first colonizers of uh, our gut, the first bacteria that get there, uh, are those from our mothers. Followed then by microbial succession processes, and we studied this um with our lab um in um yeah, in some um, papers that were published as a proof of concept some years ago um in which we're looking at samples at different time points from mothers and uh, their babies on a uh, slide uh, six uh, now um so in, and there it's when um my colleagues started developing the methods to do this strain resolve metagenomics because uh, you need very high resolution to be able to see if actually two people have the same bacteria because this is the way that we can use to infer if there was a transmission event. So, if there is the exact uh, same bacterium in a person and the other, uh, this does really happen extremely rarely in uh, individuals that have not been in contact, um, and it only ha- happens so for the same individual. Um, so by building these phylogenetic trees and when seeing that um, these leaves of the tree, so this is where uh, we have the arrows are very close to each other, almost flat, then we can uh, infer a strain transmission event. So we started developing the methodology here, um, now going to slide seven, um, and we saw an intriguing finding. That was that uh, strains that would come from the mother uh, were more persistent in the baby gut as compared to those from other sources, environmental strains. Uh, su- uh, suggesting that maternal strains would be much better adapted to the baby gut as compared to others. However, in infants, we don't see many of the typical species of bacteria that we find in adults. Um, so we must get them later on. And that's what we started uh, studying then. Um, another project in which uh, we were involved, that's in uh, slide eight, um, was seeing where this trans- transmission could also be detected across multiple familial generations. I was in Flanders, uh, in Belgium at that time, um, and we set this multi generational family cohort with families with uh, from three to five generations of women. We had 24 uh, families with a bit more than 100 uh, women, um, spanning a very wide age range, so from sorry, 0 to 98 years of age. Um, and we saw there that, uh, well, by applying these strain level profiling uh, methods, um, I'm going to slide uh, 10 now, that transmission would not occur frequently across multiple generations, but it sometimes it happened. So this was actually possible going to site 11 now Um, but then this question came to our mind so are we actually seeing vertical transmission or horizontal so is this the result of a strain going from the great-grandma to the grandma and a delivery then when the grandmother delivers the mother uh, passing it and so on or are these strains just being transmitted later on as we're seeing because especially um, we saw a very strong effect of uh, kinship, so being in the same family for sharing the same strains, but even a stronger effect of cohabitation. So we had some clues that sharing an environment, living in the same household, would play a role. And that's why we started uh, uh, studying uh, horizontal transmission, so that among uh, peers that uh, shared that would not be happen, happening uh, at delivery, but at any other point in life. So, uh like 12 now. Um, what do we know about horizontal transmission? So for a decade now, we know that individuals that cohabitate, also non-keen ones, so that they don't share genetics, share some microbiota similarities. Of course, this could be because they are eating, I mean, similar foods following same similar diets but um three years ago in 2019 um there was a paper published in which they demonstrated um transmission horizontal transmission in the microbiota in a small set of households in the fiji islands and then there were also some hypotheses on how this uh transmission of the microbiome of the gut microbiome mostly could take place and what kind of bacteria could be transmitted across different branches. So slide uh, 13 uh, now, Um, we designed, as I was saying, when I joined uh, Nicola Segata's lab, this large scale study of micro transmission to try to know uh, better uh, in more detail how this transmission takes place. Um, We we profiled um, more than 800 uh, species of bacteria, between the gut and the oral um, environment. So uh, we study gut metagenomes from fecal samples, oral metagenomes from saliva samples. So overall, we collected a lot of um, fecal and saliva samples. Um, And we also tried to um, use any data that was publicly available as uh, these were resources that uh, had already been uh, generated. So we tried to exploit them the best way as possible. as i'm showing the map here we also tried to have a global representation so as in many other fields microbiome research has mostly been focused uh, in europe er, and in north america and but we try to have a bit of a more global representation of course it's not uh, perfect yet and we have still many countries uh, missing Uh, but uh, to get a better representation of uh, human lifestyles and geography Um, and yeah any there we would include include any samples that uh, had pairs of individuals that were in contact so mothers and offspring um individuals living in the same household adult twins that was also something very interesting for us uh, so these are pairs of um yeah twins that um of course live together until more or less they become ed- adults and most of them would not live together anymore so um we then uh going to slide uh, 14 um yeah uh did also like put a strong focus on the methodological work so we tried to be uh, very sound uh so we had to see uh when we could say there was the same strain in two samples so um because of course all our work was um computational so we are getting these samples we are sequencing we're accepting the dna from there we are sequencing all this DNA and then we have to make sense of them. Um, and yeah, uh, an important question here was, uh, okay, when do you consider two bacteria that are found in two samples are similar enough to consider this were, that there was a transmission event? Um, and yeah, I'm not going to get too much into detail here, but yeah, there was a lot of focus on um, having these uh, methods as, um, yeah, as as accurate as possible. And that will be so. Going to slide fifteen now. So an interesting gradient. So we saw that samples for from the same individual, I mean the gut microbiome panel out, would share the median eighty-seven percent of their strains. So if you take, if I give a sample now and another one in three months, or uh, we're doing here uh, less than six months in general, um, a lot of the strains would stay. Would still stay. So, and we know actually the microbiome tends to be very stable, except if there was some perturbation, like um, an antibiotic scores for example. And this was followed by mothers and offspring um, pairs, then um, individuals in the same household that uh, share twelve percent million of their strains, uh, then uh, adult twins that would not live together anymore, or Individuals in the same village so that they share some environment but not as close as uh, cohabitating. So these were in both cases uh, 8% as a median. And finally, individuals in the same population or in different populations that would never cross each other, then there is a zero um, strain sharing rate. So zero of their strains uh, shared. Makes sense. On the oral microbiome, we saw even more strain sharing. Um, together with some. Distinctive patterns that I'm going to discuss uh, later. Uh, so, yeah, slide 16 now. So, step by step, I'm first going to talk about the gut microbiome on vertical transmission uh, here. Uh, so, what did we see uh, was that um, mothers uh, with uh, their infants, up to the first year of life, they shared 50%, so half of the strains, which is a lot. Um, then, together with expansion of the infant's motor activities um, and also the accumulation of a species uh, from other sources uh, then the strain sharing between the mother and the offspring started decreasing but this was long lasting as uh, we had access to this uh this uh, last box in the box plot uh, here in slide 16 uh, which were individuals up to 85 uh, years of age together with their mothers so These individuals, from 50 to 85 years, they still share more with their mothers than with mothers of other individuals, meaning that this vertical transmission of the gut microbiome is very strong um, and also very long-lasting. Okay, Um, we also saw um, that uh, there was an influence of delivery mode um as could be expected um as yeah we, if we're getting uh, our the first colonizers of our gut uh, from the mother doing during birth um of course we expect something different will happen when this birth is uh, by c-section um but actually these differences um would not be apparent anymore after three years so uh infants born by cesarean which share less of their strains with their mothers um, early on. But then this difference gets compensated. Going to slide 18 uh, now. Um, So next we looked at um, horizontal transmission and uh, especially on households. Um, And we see there that um, when we looked at older infants, so they we did not see any significant differences between mother offspring father offspring with siblings or between partners so everyone in the same household um tend to share um yeah display a uh, similar sharing rates but they all share much more than with individuals in the, diff- in the different households so to us this very strongly supports an influence on environment for microbium transmission then uh, we looked at twins um and we saw that um Yeah, strange sharing between them declined sharply with the first years they lived apart um, much more strongly than uh, with their age, um, which showed that stop. So not sharing an environment anymore was much more important than the fading um, influence of the mother at birth. So again, strong point for uh, horizontal transmission Um, and then genetics played hmm, some effect, but a mild one. sorry uh, so um, these zygotic uh, twins tend to share less strains uh, than monozygotic uh, ones going to slide uh, 19 uh, now um, so our next question was okay how long so how how can this be this range of transmission do we need to be very close with someone to share strains with them or also with someone in our village we can just I mean, can we buy their microbiomes? Can we see someone that with wh- whom we, we might cross and not something someone we don't know at all? And um, and we saw that there was, I mean, mild, but some strain sharing also. So some gut microbiome transmission within populations. Which allowed us um, to build these networks. Um, which is and this is something that is very often used uh, for pathogens to track their spread but here we can see that actually we can also track the spread of bacteria in our microbiomes which is something very interesting for us mm-hmm. then we went on and look at transmission of the oral microbiome so from saliva samples uh, there as i was saying we saw even more uh strain sharing than for the gut and this is something that can be expected. The bacteria in our mouth have saliva as a very uh, convenient uh, transmission vehicle for them. Um, but also here we saw some interesting patterns. So in there, we would not see this effect of um, inoculation from the at birth, but sharing was time dependent. This is that people that were older, um, would also share uh more strange so the more time you spend together with someone the more strange you share um in general um mothers shared a bit more than the fathers with the babies but in both cases um this uh sharing accumulated with time uh going to slide 21 now um so our next question was okay we are looking at a transmission of the microbiome we saw it's a very highly transmitted, um, but actually, um, are all the species transmitted equal? Or are there some um, bacteria that are um, dispersal uh, specialists? Um, And we see that indeed, so some species were better than others at being transmitted, um, but their transmissibility, their ability to be transmitted was highly consistent across the sets, um, which to us, points us um, transmissibility being a specific trait of this bacteria. And um, so we tried to assess it uh, better and uh, and to see uh, what bacteria would be more often transmitted across each transmission modes. And we saw, for example, that for uh, yeah, highly uh, vertical transmission species, so species that were very often frequently um, transmitted between mothers and babies, were bifidobacteria, which are very typical bacteria in the infant gut but also less usual bacteria, like Bacterioditis or Kermansia uh, Bacteria that has been strongly associated with obesity. Um, in, and then in households and also in populations, so the bacteria were mostly transmitted horizontally, we saw many uncharacterized bacteria. So many of those, they did not even have a full name. So you see here some code, um, which means that these are bacteria that we are studying um, with metagenomics, so with computational methods, we can um, there look. Uh, I mean, identify a genome of a bacterium, but these bacteria have never been grown in the lab, so we know very little about them. And uh, and yeah, seeing that these are among the ones scoring as most highly transmitted tells us that we should really study them and see, um, yeah, what they do to our health. Um, and something similar happened for uh, the oral bacteria that were most transmitted. In there, uh, as I was saying, for the oral microbiome, uh, we saw mostly horizontal transmission. And actually we also saw there that uh, some species were highly consistently, so consistently transmitted, and highly transmitted um, in the different modes. So there are these bacteria, these three bacteria here. Um, also, them they have a code, they don't really have like a species uh, a clear species name um that are very poorly characterized and these are the three ones that are most commonly spread so um yeah we are now trying to study them better in the lab i'm going to slide 23 now um so our last step was trying to see if some phenotypical properties of these bacteria of the ones that we know, or, um, yeah, for the ones that, um, have never been, uh, cultivated, we tried to predict these uh, properties, um, based on their genomes. Um, so seeing if those properties would explain their transmission dynamics and we saw some patterns, so it seemed that gram negative, uh, species. So these are, um, yeah, this is the classification of bacteria. Uh, gram-negative ones tend to be more resistant um, to, and tend to survive better in the environment. They need to be better uh, transmitted um, between both mothers and babies, so vertically and uh, and in household. But then, if um, if we looked at the species that um, could be transmitted among people in different households, so this um, longer ranges of transmission, these were more le- mostly spore-forming bacteria. So bacteria can form spores as a resistant mechanism for survival. And also mostly were are tolerant. So many of the species in our gut are anaerobic, which means that they just die in the presence of oxygen. Um, so this is something that makes it difficult for them to be transmitted. But the ones that would tolerate oxygen are tolerant ones would um, be much more often uh, transmitted in different, from between individuals in different households. Um, and this is another study in which um, we also assessed um, what were the determinants of microbiome engraftment in fecal micro transmutation. Because we saw there that uh, the uh, when yeah, FMT is performed, the more bacteria from the donor engrafted in the recipient the better the clinical outcome would be. Um, yeah, that was also a large study um, in uh, yeah, many different uh, countries with different diseases. Um, and we saw also there that mostly um, yeah, gram-negative bacteria and in general, properties of the bacteria that would determine uh, their survival um, would be associated with their better engraftment. So we are seeing some consistent uh, results uh, here. So, and, and it's actually a nice control for us because um, there are, when we look at person-to-person transmission, um, that's the joint effect of, uh, for bacteria of surviving the environment and being able to colonize a new environment, a new host, so a new gut. In contrast for FMT, we are putting artificially these bacteria there directly, uh, so they just need to colonize. Of course, they are there in a sick um, person, so there might be some different properties, Um, But these are two different scenarios for uh, microbial transmission that we think are very interesting. So um, overall, uh, my take-home messages for you, going to slide 25 now, uh, is that we said the microbiome, first of all, is very extensively transmitted among individuals in close contacts. Um, It is transmitted vertically from mothers to infants, but it's not only our mother what will matter because there is also then um, very large horizontal transmission. So sharing an environment plays a key role. And the individuals that are close to us are great reservoirs for uh, these bacteria and are the ones that are giving um, uh, the bacteria that will um, colonize our bodies. Uh, We saw of course, there are different microbiomes in our bodies uh, with uh, different properties. And indeed, uh, we saw distinct patterns for the gut and for the oral uh, microbiome. And finally, microbiome transmission is not left to chance. So there were some species that were mostly dispersal specialists. So uh, and that was linked to some phenotypical properties that were transmitted more frequently. So um, we know still, as I was saying, very little about them. And we are going to try to study this in in better detail as um, this could actually help us um, design better, so more efficient probiotic uh, treatments. With this, um, I would like to thank you all for your attention. I'm going to the last slide, slide 26 now. Um, and I would also like uh, to thank my all my colleagues and also the collaborators that uh, helped in this uh, large scale study. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for sharing this really um, amazing work with us. Um, this is really, So interesting, and as I mentioned briefly before, it's like such a systematic, uh, large-scale study um, that is really interesting, and um, it's it's really wonderful work. So thank you so much for sharing, and it was for sure a lot of work, also. Thank you. Um, I see Susan is here, so I wanted to give her first the uh, opportunity to speak. So hi Susan, go ahead please.
2: Hi, so I'm not in the sciences, I'm a filmmaker, but I found this incredibly fascinating and I had some questions, but mainly some thoughts. So I just thought maybe I'd ask you, you might have covered it or you might have not. What happens in close proximity during, living in close proximity but involuntarily? Like for instance, in prison, or if you are in a detention center or juvenile detention center, or if you're in school or um, a situation where it's like traumatic, had you done any research in that?
1: Okay. That's a very interesting uh, question and uh it's also great to uh discuss our research with people from different uh, backgrounds um, and that was a very nice opportunity uh, of um yeah after publishing uh, our paper uh so i mean we don't i mean of course uh, everything i'm going to say now is speculation because um yeah we hear we in our study we um, say people that live together in some same household, mostly voluntarily expect, Um, we didn't really look at the um, impression setting, Uh, but I would expect, um, I mean, we don't don't really have a saying on how our microbes uh, want to spread. So I would expect them to, I mean, take the, I mean the most advantage they can of um of this uh, new proximity and then just yeah spread also there uh with uh, the other individuals that they would have in close contact
2: uh, very interesting um could i just follow up with one more question yes yeah, sure um in terms, of, uh, in terms of uh uh viruses were there any thoughts in terms of like because of the pandemic and the things we're going through and possibly additional um, viruses and um, viruses that are not responding potentially to antibiotics in the issue of superbugs, is this something that is going to make this even more pivotal and even more important in terms of the immune system?
1: Yeah. um I have to say, yeah our research f- focused mostly on uh, bacteria because these are the most um yeah most of the our microbiome is made out of uh, them um in that case uh yeah there there is of course uh, some of these bacteria in our microbiome that are associated with our health, others that are more disease associated um and to us that was something already interesting to see that. It seemed there was a slight association between more pathogenic bacteria having uh, more aggressive colonia- colonization strategies. Um, we didn't look at um, yeah, bacteria that were resistant to antibiotics, uh, but that's um, an interesting follow up. We are uh, now looking more at the role of this transmission in different diseases. Um, so, also, viruses is something uh, definitely to follow up on.
2: Thank you so much. This was incredible. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much for your interest.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Um, LT and yeah, London. welcome uh, to the stage. Uh, LT, please go ahead and then London.
3: Okay. Can you hear me all right? <laughs> yep. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. A lot of work, I have to say. Thank you. Um, so I wanted to ask. I'll ask first question, then I reserve second question after Linda, maybe. Okay. So uh, yes. So you, you, on slides, where was that? Uh, Slide twenty-one. You said that are all god species transmitted equal? It's not right. Your answer is that. So yeah. I'm asking. You have so many different data set. You have North America. You have Europe. What about the uh, geographically?
1: Yeah. This, uh... right.
3: uh-huh. Thank
1: you. That's a very good question, and something I did not uh, cover too much in detail uh, because of time. Um, To us, it was uh, something interesting to see that there was a a smaller effect of geography or lifestyle than what we would have expected. So it seems that in general, like bacteria are, I mean, yeah, being more or less transmissible is a characteristic of the bacteria themselves. And they just don't care where we are, um, but but it's actually something that people are asking because um, we know that um, individuals in non-Westernized uh, societies, um, which yeah, um, mostly based the yeah, classification. Of course, it's not very clear cut, uh, but it's a way we can look at lifestyle. Uh, so in general, individuals that would not take anti biotics, have less less access to drugs, uh, eat less uh, processed uh, foods, and uh, mostly more fibers. Um, We know that they have a more diverse microbiome, and that the more diverse the microbiome, the better we are. Um, uh, So that's something known on the composition as a whole. But if we look at the transmission of the bacteria, it seems that the transmission from the mother and from other individuals in the household is similar. So this extra diversity in non-westernized societies, um, it probably comes from other individuals or yeah, from or from the environment. Okay, and um, then
3: then uh, Linda. London, if you are ready to ask, you can ask. Otherwise, I will follow up with your twin. You
4: mentioned twins. You can follow up. I I have kind of a two-parter too. So go go ahead. Okay.
3: Okay. Good. Then, because you also mentioned, I forgot which slides you mentioned. Like twins, you have a data set with twins. You know that they come, they got the same data set not them same data they got the same kind of from the mother and then they may not necessarily live in the same household that go over you know one in the I don't know China one in US or one in Europe let's say triplets so not as you say many what kind of um, things at least what can you tell us about that yeah you mentioned it but I didn't hear mm-hmm. much more so uh
1: the twins uh the pairs of twins that we got were um, mostly from the UK. So there, there is a very large uh, study that has been uh, going on for a very long time now. So yeah, the Twins UK study, in which they follow huge numbers uh, of twins. Um, and there, to us, that was an interesting example, because for twins, we can assume they got more or less the same microbiome from the, their mothers at birth. Uh, so seeing that, um, and we saw it when they got older um they would share less of their microbiomes which makes sense i mean this uh, influence from the mother is fading and they are exposed to other bacteria from other sources but much more stronger than their age was the when they started to live apart so um so that yeah this to us was um clear proof of uh, the transmission among them so twins would get more or less the bacteria from the mars at birth but then they also keep changing uh, bacteria when they live uh, together and less when they live apart um, then i also talked about the influence of genetics um, as uh, it's been shown that monozygotic so identical twins uh, share more of their microbiomes as compared to the zygotic twins um, not only because of the moment of birth uh, but also i mean yeah, probably because of uh, an effect of genetics. Um and there we saw yeah, as I was saying, a mild effect. So uh in the age categories when there was a significant difference, that was uh monozygotic twins winning, so um having higher uh strain sharing. But that was not so strong. So again, this uh shows that environment, so um yeah, direct transmission is uh, more important for our microbiome genetics. Did this thank answer you. your
3: question? Yeah, 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 I think I, okay, was, I was going in that direction. So, are you saying that the microbiome in our guts, actually, they probably have some influence um, because you mentioned like, a, um, what is this, twins, identical twins versus non-identical twins. Yeah, they exactly. Have, yeah, thank you. Okay, I'm done with my question for now. Thank you yeah. very much. Welcome.
4: Yeah, I I guess the thing that struck me most curious um, was the intergenerational, the vertical transfer of Mm -hmm. microbiomes. And you had said, and I think I can see in the slides, although it's very small, an orange bell curve that, you know, basically one generation, you've got a whole lot of fidelity, that that mother to offspring transmission. But after that, like it it goes down precipitously, like by, by, you know, second generation out or third generation out is, is quite a bit less likely that you're going to have that. Transmission of microbiome uh, fidelity for that many generations, and so I, I'm just wondering: um, is that all due to household and proximity, at, or, or or in changes? I, I guess what I'm asking is, like, if you were to have done this study in Belgium, in like you know, sixteen hundred, when when people are much more local to village and where maybe their yeah. diets are, you know, not not changing so much, like there's less selection pressures. Would you expect that? curve to be similar or
1: yeah that's a very good point um so this was yeah for us a very. so we have this, this this question because in mice it's been of course their generation times are much shorter than us so it's much easier to this kind of studies um, and yeah we're trying to see if there was this transmission from yeah, great mama to grandma to the to the daughter and the granddaughter um, of course we would look at all these samples at the same time point um, so if we see there was transmission we don't know if it was at birth or later on um, and that's why we started having this idea of uh, checking at uh, the influence of the environment and indeed we saw that yeah with more generations less train sharing but also, when starting to live apart, the, um, their microbiomes changed and the number of strains that were shared uh, decreased. Yeah, Indeed, uh, Belgium is um, a yeah, very specific setting. So, um, I mean, yeah, um, families tend to live um, yeah, in a very restricted um, geographical area. Um, so children would not move very far away. They would also keep seeing each other quite frequently. So uh, yeah, uh, there and indeed uh, the diet is also quite stable. Um, so yeah, we could expect that in other uh, settings, um, if um, one would move to yeah, different parts of the world following a different lifestyle with different diet, then we would see less uh, strain shared.
4: Great, and I think that actually more or less answers my second question, which was just to kind of take the geographic example to the extreme and say, well, what if you had, a family say in east asia or eastern europe who had a child raised it to two then had to adopt it say to the united yeah. states and you were to compare microbiomes of it, the you know the na- native uh, nascent family and the adopted family and that individual like after-
1: yeah indeed there have been uh, some published uh, studies on adoption cases because that's i mean it's, it's a very interesting setting to look at this um but that was mostly on the general microbiome composition um so it would be very cool to also uh, track strains in those cases. Yeah, thank you.
4: Yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for all these questions. Um, it's really interesting. And then Elizabeth in the in the chat shared: um, if you take a probiotic strain that has very high engraftment rate. Would you only have to take it once or um, does it i guess probably if you take those supplements is it um similar sticky like that it stays in your system like a human to human transfer yeah.
1: so that's a very good question and that's that would be the ideal case the the real answer is that i mean we we just hope this uh, treatment would be more efficient because i mean we know that for now probiotics don't work very well or as good as we would hope for and um so yeah if this they have a much higher engraftment rate we hope they will yeah more stably colonize uh, this microbiome and have a stronger influence of course the microbiome is a dynamic environment so I mean, taking it only once would make it hard for specific bacteria to stably colonize. But hopefully, we will need to take it, yeah, less often or in smaller quantities.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, and um, do you? So, so my questions, as probably a lot of things were asked for the future. Uh, what's the, the next thing you're going to analyze? Because you alluded a little bit to antibiotic resistant treatment. Um, is there maybe a prediction um, study going on that you can maybe um, assess vulnerabilities and families maybe? And kind of uh, in the future treat this, you know, since birth or so, um, or um, is that something maybe that that would interest you study in the future?
1: Yeah, uh, certainly, and uh, yeah, and in general, associated with disease. Our study uh, was on generally healthy individuals um, as a first study to see how transmission of the microbiome takes place in normal situation now we want to look at um, the association with disease especially uh, on diseases that run in families um, see what's the role of the microbiome so if micro transmission would have a role in also um, transmission of the disease uh, this would be something certainly important for us and the other well another point is um, yeah other sources of transmission So so far we looked at individuals in close contact, but we think that, for example, also pets could be with, uh, interesting reservoirs. So um, just trying to expand the picture of transmission more, both um, yeah, uh, in general and in disease uh, settings.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think that will be really interesting in the future to learn about disease states and um, do you think like this is very um you know very speculative, but you know we have kind of trouble, especially in mental health disorders, since you know your previous work uh was kind of involved in mental health also um we have kind of trouble making a genetic link um it's a very low percentage of the genetic component, yeah indeed. um do you think that the microbiome will hold a better causality relationship uh, than genetics it's uh, yeah i don't know yeah that's what i would hope for
1: and in some cases it it seems so like as for the microbiome itself i mean genetics play small role but not i mean just a small one so uh hopefully yes i mean of course i think these diseases are multifactorial um the microbiome will not be the only answer we'll have to um yeah design treatments um trying to focus on the different factors at once and um so yeah microwave modulations might help for example the current uh, so increase uh the the efficiency of the current anti-depression treatments, for example, I don't, I mean, I don't think they will replace, um, any, um, therapy, but they could hopefully complement them to get, uh, yeah, better efficacy.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And then would you, would you be interested to see how maybe different microbiome structure could also affect gene expression in the in the human because there's a lot of you know epigenetic gene expression work going on also related to disease and health and aging and so on so do you think um that maybe the microbiome would influence that too and are you also thinking of looking into aging if people with a specific microbiomes maybe um age healthier than others
1: yeah thank you these are two very interesting points so on gene expression definitely i mean i would expect that the microbiome um affects gene i mean host so human gene expression in the gut but uh, maybe not only and also um in our tissues and then for the aging yes i mean there are some studies and it's interesting to see that um during uh, senescence so in elder so toward the end of our lives um in line with this immune uh, senescence we are also losing diversity of our microbiomes so maybe um, there could also be some uh, room for microbiome uh, treatments trying to yeah, promote healthy aging uh, then yeah, On uh, there are also some studies on uh, assessing uh, yeah, uh, cohorts with uh, very longevity uh, individuals, seeing if a uh, microbiome composition plays a role, and it seems, uh, yeah, that it has something to do with that.
0: That's really interesting. Um, I did know that um, that in aging there's such a difference in the microbiome. Um, so, I think this will be really interesting to follow your work um, in the future because all of these are really important <laughs> questions. <laughs> and, and if you can um, answer just, you know, a subset of them that will be making a huge difference in people's lives. So uh, yeah, I think, is there anything you would, might want to add that maybe we didn't think of asking uh, currently that's probably my last question
1: okay. well thank you very much again um and yeah i think we mostly covered the the part of uh, microbiome transmission and some of its implications um some diseases of course there is a lot more on the microbiome in different situations but that would be a whole different uh, talk so Uh, I think it's uh, good to close it here uh, for today Uh, and again, thank you very much for the invitation and for the nice questions.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. I agree there will be, you know, involvement in cancer and in every um, aspect of our lives. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for doing this work and um, we really appreciated you coming here and sharing it. Um, and I hope we'll hear you again one day and talk about your future research. So thank you so much, Midea.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: And thank you everyone for coming and asking interesting questions. It's always way more interesting when uh, people are come with their um, with their questions that they have because it makes the discussion more. Um, have more levels of uh, interest, and uh, our next talk, um, if you are interested in in discussions like this, will be with Dr. Martin next week, with origins of bilaterian life cycles So basically, it's evolutionary biology and how, um, male and female, um. um yeah, life cycles developed and um, it will be really interesting to learn about it, I think. And yeah, again, thank you, Mireia. Um Enjoy the rest of your day, morning, evening, wherever you are. And I'll close the room in three, two, one. Bye, everyone. Thank you.
3: Thank you.